Hello and welcome to Foxed, the practical podcast series from Fox & Partners. In these podcasts, we'll be looking at scenarios from our day-to-day -day practice, offering solutions to some of the most pressing partnership and employment law questions we hear from our clients. Our goal is to offer a digest of some of today's key issues in a succinct and practical style that we hope you'll find useful and engaging. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to our Fox podcast and our first of 2023. Our focus today is on the topic of bullying and executive conflict. Bullying, cultures of fear and demeaning behaviours are a big problem in modern workplaces and they give rise to strong responses. And attitudes to bullying may be on the move. Anti-Bullying Week, which took place in November last year, trended strongly on social media and gained the attention of members of Parliament, all of which was an interesting backdrop to the ongoing investigation into bullying complaints that civil servants had made about a government minister. But our focus today is, however, wholly on the world of work, not politics. We're going to tackle the issue with the benefit of a special guest, Graham Browning, who is, amongst other things, a troubleshooter on people issues. I'll tell you more about Graham a bit later. Given its importance, we've dedicated two episodes to the topic, and we may come back later in the year to talk about other, more specific related aspects. Our aim is to share with you our take on this challenging issue, offer some insights to reflect on, and some practical takeaways. And our first episode will delve into the features of bullying dynamics, examine common themes and early warning signs, policies, and the legal issues. And in our second episode, we'll examine bullying in a corporate context versus partnerships, offer practical tips for your leadership teams, and uh, techniques for resolving issues in a hybrid working environment. I hope you found it all helpful, and thanks for listening. So let's kick off with an introduction to our special guest, Graham Browning. Welcome to our podcast, Graham. Great to be here. Thank you, Ivor. Graham trained at Clifford Chance and has practiced uh, as an employment lawyer for some 20 years at Freshfields. Uh, for 17 of those years, he was their in-house troubleshooter with dual HR and in-house counsel responsibilities, uh, then global head of people performance and people relations. Uh, in that role, he focused on crises, culture and change. And then after hashtag Me Too, he initiated and led the global program to transform the firm's culture. Uh, he was then a director of Berndine, a workplace behavior and inclusion consultancy, uh, where he trained global organizations on culture and difficult people situations. And he also built the resolution team over COVID, which in two years became the largest part of Berndine, carrying out over 50 investigations and mediations a year. Along the way, he's picked up an MSc in organizational behavior, and he's now an independent in training, coaching, and carrying out executive interventions for leaders whose behavior is causing problems. So very impressive CV and professional history there, Graham. Uh, so there are important legal issues for us to talk about, but what we'd like to do in this uh, series is conduct a more of a deeper dive into the drivers and special features of bullying, the dynamics, and to think about strategies for leadership teams uh, that really make a difference. So just to set the scene a little bit, it's worth noting that bullying might be even on the increase. Uh, some research we conducted indicated the number of cases heard by employment tribunals which contain allegations of bullying had increased in the past year. But there was also a report in the Financial Times recently which noted, according to a US-based workplace bullying institute, 30% of Americans are bullied at work, and that's mostly from above. There was also an interesting Women at Work report by Deloitte in 2022, now, that surveyed 5,000 women across 10 countries and found the majority of women have experienced harassment and or microaggressions over the past year, and that's increased from the previous year. And I think in our own practice, it's fair to say we've noticed a bit of an uptick in individuals facing challenging work situations that you could characterize as bullying. But in my experience, senior individuals are very uncomfortable using that word, and frankly, those issues are skirted around. 
Um, and there's also some signs that a, I think a, a reduction in the physical dimension of work uh, has had an impact. So, uh, you know, one that allows for the delivery of sensitive feedback, in-person dialogue, uh, rather than ever more emails that don't land very well, that too may have a part to play. So um, there's no universally agreed measure of what amounts to bullying, and there's no legal definition of bullying. Although you might say you know when you see it, but then again, you see it through your own eyes and your experiences. Guidance from ACAS, uh, which I'll read out now, that says it can be described as unwanted behavior from a person or group that is either offensive, intimidating, malicious or insulting, uh, or an abuse or misuse of power that undermines, humiliates or causes physical or emotional harm to someone. So with that in mind, and also with in mind uh, a lot of what is occurring in public life these days uh, with bullying allegations and uh, other misdemeanors across the world, uh, I don't think an attempted at definition is going to help us very much today. But maybe we could start with a, a view from your vantage point, Graham, about some of the common themes um, perhaps that might be characterized as bullying. Could you help us a little with that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think there are three main themes that spring to mind when I think about bullying and what I see. Uh, the first of those is that the building blocks of workplace bullying have not changed. Um, there's something important at stake. Um, something important has happened. Um, somebody feels that their rights and needs have not been respected, something something like that. One or both of the parties maybe are lacking some some elements of their skill set that they need, self-awareness, self-management, something like that. And the way it's uh, falling out uh, is is having a real damaging impact on the individuals and on the business. So So that's the building blocks, and that really hasn't changed. The second theme, and this hasn't really changed either, is there's a reluctance uh, within the organization or with the leadership of the organization to address the issue. And that can come from a lack of confidence, a lack of skill. Um, I hope it'll go away. It could be from any number of sources, but but there's often a delay between uh, what's happened and, uh, and action being taken. And then the third theme, and this one has changed quite a bit over the last few years, is the fallout. Common theme that I see is that fallout is much more significant and damaging than it used to be um, to the business, to the individuals uh, concerned. So I think those are the three main themes that I see. Um, Building blocks the same, a reluctance to deal, um, that's the same, and and a bigger fallout. Mm. What does that mean in practical terms? On the fallout? Yeah. Well, um, we see much more quick judgment, so shaming, uh, Mm. the transparency that's been coming. I remember talking about transparency coming uh, 10, 12 years ago, um, and now that world has really arrived. So with blogging, with uh, Glassdoor, um, there's so many different sources, Facebook, an organization and individuals, they, they can't control um, how um, the reputational side of things um, is going to play out. It will take a life of its own. So so that gap between what's happening behind apparently closed door in an organization and then what gets out of the door, that you can't really um, manage that uh, these days. Um, if, if there's a gap or, or there's a really significant gap between the reality and what you're presenting, um, you're going to get found out. 
um, and that matters a lot for individuals and for organisations. Fallout, regulatory fallout, um, a lot of my career uh, has been dealing in regulated industries and the, the shift, um, and this is still um, an area of development for some of the regulators, um, to focusing on, on behaviour and culture um, much more than they ever did in the past. That's there. Uh, fallout in terms of engagement, so either people staying but quiet quitting or just not able to, to give 100% to their job, maybe they become unwell or they're distracted by it, or turnover. Um, so displacement within an organisation to kind of get away from a situation or or to leave. Um, and then um, oftentimes with, with something um, being left either in an exit interview or online. So yeah, uh, a lot of those things just weren't things we'd be talking about 10 years ago. Either. No. No, I agree. <clears throat> I don't know if you've picked up either the the kind of mood music has been changing for some time, the regulators' intolerance and um, prioritization of culture across the piece, uh, and I kind of move towards um, the importance of values, ESG, uh, and others within organizations, and that actually having uh, an impact on how uh, organizations recruit and how they retain staff, and differences, you know, inter intergenerational differences as to what people are concerned with. Um, so the, the whole issue of values and behaviours is uh, vitally important, not merely in terms of managing situations, but also to retain talent these days. And uh, I think there's probably a, a larger um, or a greater, a, a greater intolerance of, of poor behaviour, and that's having an impact also. That that is absolutely right. Um, so I I know at the university level students are taking a very very keen interest not just in the, the the websites and the carefully managed externally facing uh, image that organizations will give but they, they're really starting to dig in behind that they're becoming much more savvy about this and and that's a that's a very good thing because any organization that wants a future needs to you know, adapt to the expectations of, of a core group um, like mm -hmm. incoming talent so mm -hmm. so that absolutely right and and the regulators yes i mean uh, some are more advanced than others but they're all talking in terms of the same music around often psychological safety mm -hmm. um leadership um role modeling these kind of themes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so either one of the things that can be very complicated when you're working, uh, say, as an investigator or an HR with leadership is to really navigate the complexity of what are the legal risks around bullying. Uh, it would just be great to hear what your take is on that, what you're seeing coming across your desk. Sure. There's a, a broad array of risks to be thinking about and uh, working through. On, on the policy side, employers and partnerships, they probably have an anti-harassment and bullying policy, or if not, they definitely should do, to demonstrate a commitment to a working environment free from bullying, but also to outline and explain uh, the informal and formal steps that any individual can take if they do feel that they're being bullied or harassed, uh, to whom they raise the issue, uh, how they raise the issue and the process around that, and critically, any procedural safeguards for those involved, privacy and confidentiality, to ensure fairness uh, and natural justice and so on. Those policies should also link with the equality and diversity policy and strategies um, and any grievance and whistleblowing policy. So 
what's important is to ensure that the suite of policies all dovetails in uh, and there's no inconsistencies. Um, and that can be tricky because sometimes where there is a bullying issue, it's unclear where the individual may wish to pursue that or how they wish to pursue that. So if, if the issue is related to a protected characteristic such as sex, race or age, for example, or if it's retaliation for having spoken up about a concern, blowing the whistle in the public interest, then uh, the equality and diversity policies or the whistleblowing policies may be appropriate. But sometimes the individual may simply be unclear as to what they should be doing. In my experience, though, if the as far as the individual is aware, if the bullying is not connected to any characteristics such as race or retaliation for having raised uh, equality concerns or some other issue in the public interest, uh, a bullying and harassment or dignity and respect policy is probably the way forward. Uh, there may also be stress and well-being policies that may be relevant. So there's a whole area out there to ensure the business gets it right, that is clear, uh, that is properly organised and that all links together to avoid any inconsistencies or lack of clarity as to what to do. But there's also risks of claims and given bullying can result in psychiatric harm and those kind of psychiatric harm cases um, can be life-changing and career-changing. So there are claims to take seriously, but that's a big issue which I think we should cover uh, once we've worked out some of the other uh, items we need to discuss. So, Graham, um, are there any early warning signs businesses should be mindful of when they're considering the issue of bullying? Uh, so many. <laughs> um, uh, let me let me um, split it this way. So, you will see an impact uh, of negative behaviour within your organisation in in many little ways, and it, the real trick is to be able to spot the emerging themes. So I think one one area to focus on is what you might call, um, not I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, but something like I'm in trouble, get me out of here kind of activity. Mm-hmm. So it's still very much the case that where somebody is experiencing behavior that is really problematic for them, it is a last resort for virtually everyone to put in a formal complaint about that. Uh, what they're much more likely to do is one to uh, go into themselves and, and withdraw to protect, and that will show up in a couple of ways. Uh, one will be disengagement. So, if you look at someone who used to be a positive contributor, turn up to things, you know, be part of the team, there'll be a change. They'll they'll withdraw, and you'll you'll notice that if you're alive to it, something's happened for them. At which point going and asking them how they're doing is the way to start opening that out. So that sort of low-level behavioural change that if you're alert to it, you may start to notice. So if, if you're a, a leadership team, how would you, you you know detect that if you're kind of one or two or three steps away from, mm. from the coalface, particularly if someone is working two or three days a week in the office? And Sure. Know. Well, I think uh, leadership teams have their own um, range of behaviours, and actually it's, it's not uncommon that what I've just said will happen within a leadership team dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you then drill down, okay, they're not going to observe this particular individual, but what data might they see? Well, a lot of organisations these days will be running um, uh, various kind of surveys uh, that produce data around how individuals are feeling. So you 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 may either quantitatively or qualitatively start seeing um, areas of of disengagement. If 
that isn't working, then you can go to a couple of other easy places. One is to data-wise look at turnover stats um, and also absence stats. Those are, those are pretty telling. Mm-hmm. Also, your ER team, or if you don't have an employee relations team, HR, ask them the question, who are the people who are taking the most time because of the way they manage people? You will find that there will be some people who there's just a lot more collateral noise around them. Conversations that have to be had to diffuse situations, complaints after um, appraisals being unfair or, or abrasive behavior, things like that. There, there'll be certain people who are just leaving a bit of a, a mark um, and HR or employee relations uh, will be able to um, direct your attention to that. So those kind of, those kind of patterns very much worth looking at. The other, the other side of the coin is to think about the attitudes and behaviors that people are, are displaying. So there's a, there's a common kind of thread through people who are, who are more likely to be seen as bullying other people that there's a level of um, self-awareness that's, that's perhaps lower than it should be self-management skill, perhaps lower than ideal, particularly when under uh, stress, pressure. There could be an attitude that of actually people are there to serve me. Um, so you have this kind of I'm one up, uh, other, other people are one down. A competitive nature versus colleagues. So I always have to be right. I have to be better than you. It has to be my idea. A, a hypersensitivity to, to criticism. These kind of markers could be, and, and in a, a sophisticated organization, should be designed into things like decisions of who gets promoted, these kind of behavioral markers, or who gets recruited. Um, so you can pay attention to that as well. What about in the case of a, an SME or a, you know, a small LLP? Mm. Um, you know, how is our data you know, sensibly recorded? Um, how, is, how is it um, exchanged between leadership? teams or, or individual leaders without you know that becoming highly pro- problematic because it rather seeming like someone's subjective view of another individual's behavior which may or may not be correct and actually may be influenced by um, kind of their own perception and how, you know, how do you bring objectivity to that yes um so so there are ways to do that but the, i mean the general point is the smaller the organization and the more everybody knows each other the more um the relationships and the experience of each other, yeah, that's going to be like the core data because you'll have seen it or ex- experienced it on, and, and know the people. So you'll be perhaps a bit less reliant on sort of quotes, more objective mm-hmm. um, measures um, that you would in a large organization. But that said, even relatively small organizations can have uh, the kind of surveys should be capturing the kind of data that I'm talking about, including exit interview data. So, um, I've in the past, uh, after I left Freshfields, um, been engaged by an organisation to to do just that, to conduct exit interviews with with people, and then and then look for themes and and play things back in. So there's there's different things you can do, even though like I agree the context is different where where it's a smaller organisation. Mm. And do you think, Graham, there's relevance in considering how you might embed those behaviors and values within a small business by you know reference to a, 
a constitutional document or some sort of you know values document or is that worth the paper is printed on um i, I any size any size of organization i think really benefits from having clarity mm-hmm. about its values uh, because then you've got something to to reference in all the decisions that matter and in conversations you're going to have with people um in your question is is that is it worth the paper it's written on um that very much depends on the organization and and whether it's willing to stand by what it says so yeah. it isn't a, the fault of the piece of paper <laughs> if if um it's not embedded but I, I, it's a brilliant starting point to then ground your actions mm-hmm. in something that you, know, you can hold people to account for. Mm-hmm. Deeds, not words, perhaps. Absolutely right. So behind any value statement are, are a number of things, including the legal issues um, that, that it's seeking to provide a guide for over. And I'm really I'm really interested in in hearing more about what those legal issues are. And like you said, there seems to be an uptick in in bullying and just anything that you can add on on that would be really interesting. Sure. Well, there's I think there has been an uptick in bullying, but there's also an uptick in the awareness of the importance of well-being and uh, addressing uh, mental health. There's also, uh, I think, potentially an uptick in the intolerance of uh, bad behaviour. So it's all linking together a little bit to um, increase a risk profile for a business for what can be. They're not these ca- these cases aren't that common, but they can be serious. But there's a, a number of hurdles for any individual to surmount. So if the individuals had a psychiatric injury, such as a, a depression or anxiety or, or something along those lines in a work context, um, the first thing to do is is to identify the behaviour complained of and take a view, is it severe enough to be targeted and potentially amounting to bullying. If there are cultural concerns, well, that may be less of a problem. They might provide some context, but targeted pressure uh, may be more easily argued to be bullying and a breach of a duty of care. So that's the first step, establishing a breach of the common duty of care or a breach of contract. Then the individual has to prove the breach caused the psychiatric injury. If there is one, that means not just stress, but a recognized psychiatric injury. And that means medical legal evidence. And that's where we get into going through someone's medical history and potentially medical reports at an early stage to identify cause, diagnosis and prognosis. Then, and this is the big stumbling block, the individual needs to prove the injury was reasonably foreseeable. And overwhelmingly, in my experience, that's where cases fall down, uh, because very often, you know, the dynamic is the senior individual, you know, needing to project being robust and have fortitude and, you know, perhaps sometimes with few allies, they suffer in silence and the problem becomes a catastrophe. And then the employer will say, or the partnership may say, well, there was no evidence that there was an issue or we ought to have foreseen there was a significant injury to mental health. But these cases turn their facts. And in my experience, where the bullying is appalling and contemporaneously recorded as appalling uh, and would have exposed anyone of reasonable fortitude, uh, and if they have spoken up and nobody has helped them, sometimes foreseeability can be made out. And that's where weak and ineffectual senior leadership issues uh, are a, a big factor. So 
you know, a leader who has an awareness of the behavior, but rather hopes the problem will go away. That's a major risk. And that's why addressing the issue in an adult way um, and in a positive way, uh, rather than skirting around the problem and allowing these individuals to suffer in silence or quietly quit is uh, a critical factor. Uh, sometimes there also can be claims under the Protection of Harassment Act, and you can't really rule out one of those claims, but we're talking about a course of conduct, so two incidents, not one. Uh, no need for that to be based on any protected characteristics, so it doesn't have to be related to, let's say, sex. Um, but because harassment's not defined in the law, um, it's difficult to establish, uh, and the case law suggests that it must be oppressive and unacceptable such that it would sustain criminal liability is what the cases talk about and, and those cases will be few and far between and then there's obviously discrimination claims to be aware of which can be very complicated expensive and reputationally damaging can include named respondents individuals as well as the business and that often just focuses on the reason why the individual is being bullied uh, or what is it related to is it religion or belief race age and so on Disability can be another big issue and a complicated issue for management if there's a mental health impairment. Uh, sometimes there's an issue as to whether the business actually has knowledge of the uh, disability of the impairment and the particular disadvantage the individual is facing. And that can give rise to claims, positive duties to make reasonable adjustments and potentially uh, claims where there's a, something about the knock-on consequence of the uh, condition give rise to a claim such as a long uh, long-term sick and if that's not justified expensive uh, claims can be pursued in that regard uh, sometimes the individual may get to such a uh, state of affairs that they would want to uh, resign and claim a constructive dismissal and that's an extreme argument but can be available and one that any individual would need to think very carefully about and to take legal advice before doing so but generally it's not available to partners so um, that's a, an unfortunate legal situation for um, partners to find themselves in. And, and, and frankly, it's just currently not available, perhaps in a, a two-partner LLP or something. It might be, but um, that's as yet uh, untested. So partners are not able to repudiate a multi-party contract and uh, consider themselves shorn of all their restrictive covenants. I think that issue of what partners do or what partnerships do where there's bullying in the partnership context is has its own dynamics in my experience as well as its legal issues and i think we probably should deal with that in a second part of this uh, bullying uh, podcast i'd like to pick your brains as to some of the dynamics uh, in that particular environment uh, when we come back yeah i'd love to do that and um what i take from from the law it's just a good reminder that suffering in silence is really not a good idea for many reasons, but not least legally. And likewise, putting your head in the sand as a leader is not a good idea either. No, one can understand why it happens. You know, individuals mm. are concerned to maintain their privacy, you know, their dignity, mm. um, not set hairs running as a problem, uh, or even you know, face uh, victimization and retaliation because they have raised what's called a protected act sometimes in, in terms of mm. concerns regarding the way they've been treated and, and so on. So you can understand why it happens, but in reality, it doesn't help your case. Mm. And sometimes you can get really knotty issues where no one is addressing the elephant in the room. And uh, where a business chooses to do that, perhaps because there's only one or two managers close to the situation and they're kind of managing it, in inverted commas, they're doing real harm to someone, but also to the business. 
because that's probably going to lead to a serious uh, catastrophe and there might be an exit, but on bad terms. And, and you know, when individuals get sick, these can be life-changing um, illnesses. And uh, it is, you know, frankly, not on uh, for that to happen, uh, particularly where the business is espousing values of taking care of staff and prioritizing mental health issues. So um, there we are. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, which uh, should be a little bit more uh, practical and uh, solution orientated when we come back. And I think we'll take a breather, Graham, and uh, move to onto solutions and less on problems. Um, but until then, it's thanks to Graham. And uh, Graham, I hope you have a good day and our list- listeners have a, a good day as well. And we'll speak soon. Thanks, Ivor. Thank you for listening to this episode of Foxed, and we hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe via your usual podcast platform, or you can find more details at our website, foxlawyers.com.